you know, every day I wake up in, in this abundance of connection held by the walls of our house. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity. My name is Valerie Navarrete, and welcome to Life Without Us, a podcast that shares stories about living in and nourishing community to inspire more of us to have more us in our lives. Today, I'm in conversation with Adil Dalla. Adil is a community organizer, hopeless romantic, and aspiring senior citizen. He is also the director of Community for Reset, a social enterprise that has been making pop-up playgrounds since 2015 and is about to launch a social recovery project in Toronto. Otto's past titles include Managing Director at Artscape Launchpad and Executive Director at the Centre for Social Innovation. He's the current board chair for Accessibility Champions, the Stopgap Foundation. Otto also happens to be a good friend of mine, as is his fiance, New Economy leader Shelby Kim. In the spring of last year, they moved into Clarence Commons, a co-house that I and five others founded in Toronto, just as I was moving out of it. On today's episode, Otto shares his story of community in the age of COVID. We talk about what it's like to go from living as a couple to living in a house of seven, the co-house's journey into solidarity with the racial justice movement, the value of intentionally creating space to ask the question, how can we live better together? and his hopes for the future of community at this current crossroads. If you enjoy hearing Otto's story, please share it with your community, and of course, your subscriptions, ratings, and reviews are always appreciated. We want Life Without Us to be a platform for collaboration, so please send us your questions as well as guest, co-host, and topic ideas. You can interact with us online at lifewithoutuspod.com and on Instagram at lifewithoutuspod. To stay up to date on Reset's Summer of Social Recovery, check out thisisreset.org. You can find Adil on Instagram, TikTok, and Clubhouse at Dildala, D-I-L-D-H-A-L-L-A. For the links to other references in today's episode, please check out the show notes. I loved my conversation with Adil, and I'm so sure you're going to as well. Let's dive in. Adil, thank you so much for being here with me. I'm really excited to spend this time with you and and exchange ideas. So to get us started, I want to take everybody, and you and I particularly, back to March of 2020. So March of 2020, I move out of Clarence Commons, which is a co-house in Toronto, but I move out partially. (laughs) I'm gone, but my things remain. I had plans to live there until May, and they've been replaced by the timelines of a worldwide pandemic. By June, my partner Daniel and I, masks on our faces, sanitizer applied continuously to our hands, are driving down from Ottawa and picking up my things from the garage after housemates have put everything there to quarantine. And beside my things are your and Shelby's things. You're about to move in. Can you tell me about that time for you? I, I certainly had excitement uh, around that period where our furniture was coming in and yours was coming out, uh, but also different levels of anxiety and uncertainty uh, on account of 
you know, A, moving into a shared house and, and not knowing what that experience truly would be like. Uh, B, doing so with some people we knew and some people we didn't. And C, doing so in the context of a pandemic and not being entirely sure if the complexity of the moment uh, made the whole idea uh, completely wild and untenable or exactly what we need at the moment. And tell me a bit about your move-in experience. My favorite part of moving in was that, you know, we had, because again, of the pandemic, we had moved all of our things into the garage beside your own. And uh, roughly around the time you moved your stuff out, we came thereafter to move our stuff in. And my favorite memory of that day was being greeted by the Clarence commoners uh, and having them help us uh, move things into our room, our rooms, and them asking us what kind of work do you want to do in your rooms before we get set up, i.e. do you want to you know, move some uh, things around, do you want to do paint jobs, etc. And immediately there was a validation of this idea of uh, we weren't just moving in with people, we were living together, and that our interests were mutually aligned, and that um, we, we were in a community and environment where people were helping one another and sharing with one another. And, uh, and, and, and it was a beautiful first moment of, of affirmation that, we, that we, were, we had made the right decision to do so. That resonates so much. Obviously, I was on the opposite end where my housemates were helping to move my stuff out. But yeah, that idea of many hands making light work and doing so with such generosity. It's not, you don't necessarily even have to ask. It's, it's just there. So I want to talk a little bit about what was going on in the world at the, at the time when you moved in. So, you know, you and Shilby moved in in June. There had also been another new housemate, Brayden, who had joined previously to you. Another community member, Joshua, was also living there. And also Mandy, Sabrina, and Kareem. And at that time, the world outside of your house, you know, as well as in your house, is going through a series of constantly changing pandemic public health measures. And people are being told not to socialize with anyone outside of their households. And, you know, I feel like we've been, we've been hearing about it a lot, but I know you would be sensitive, sensitive to this, even if there was no discussion or no media coverage of this, but a lot of people are dealing with a tremendous sense of isolation and loneliness. And I think especially people that live alone. But there's also folks who, like me, just really miss our broader community. We miss our extended families, our close friends, and we even miss those sort of more casual acquaintances that we might see at work or, or at social gatherings. So I'd love if you could tell me what it's been like. You've now been in, uh, you know, Clarence Commons housemate for more than uh, half a year. What's this time been like for you living in the Commons? Moving into the commons really affirmed my belief around um, the the value of doing life together as much as possible. It has certainly been more complex uh, on account of the pandemic, and and uh, and 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 even if we remove the pandemic, like the idea of living with people uh, is. Um, you know, many people when I when I tell them we've moved into a co-living house, and you know their, their immediate reaction is, "Isn't that hard?" 
And, and then my response to them is, is it hard for you to live with other people? And their answer is yes. And, and so, you know, whether it's your sibling, your, your spouse, um, your friends, like how we coexist is always, it, it always requires uh, thoughtfulness, uh, work, love. And, and so, you know, that alone, let alone the pandemic has created a, a level of complexity, which has been phenomenal for my growth as a human being. And, and I think, you know, when I moved into the commons, I was in a particularly low state as it related to the pandemic and feeling a sense of isolation. And, and I, I say to many people that moving into the commons has uh, addressed my day-to-day isolation. I do not feel uh, disconnected. I certainly feel a sense of loss and grief around my level of connection to the to the world around me, my community, and my family. But you know, every day I wake up in in this abundance of connection held by the walls of our house, and I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Have there been any particular highlights that stand out in your mind of that feeling of connectedness? Yeah, I, you know, when I think about what differentiates um, this experience um, from others, I often think about the fact that on a monthly basis, we have a, ho- a house meeting. And the, the thing I love about that is fundamentally, it means once a month, we are asking ourselves, how can we live better together? And I've never done that in any other context and it makes sense because in, in uh, organizations I've worked in and with and teams and communities I've been part of, like we'll, we'll have you know, standing meetings ultimately to try and answer um, what we need to do in order to uh, improve our experience together. But I've never done that in a house. I've never done that in a situation where I've lived in. And, and that has completely shifted my experience and it's amazing how many things that come up and and so yeah like i i think there are many moments that i think about that stand out as it relates to to times where we've danced times where we've eaten times where we've done nothing and and times where we i feel like we've done everything but but i think when i think about what are my favorite moments over the last 7 months i immediately think about the times where we meet uh once a month and come together around this question of how can we live better together? That is such a beautiful question. I think myself and a lot of other folks listening are going to be meditating on that. Is there a particular, I don't know, agenda item or example of a conversation that you all had that uh, that you could share? I'll bring up two just to ex- express the range of things. Uh, on, on, the, on the micro, uh, Kareem, um, one of the topics that Kareem brought up was uh, pro tips to improve our uh, kitchen cleanliness experience, and he 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 did a quick walk through the kitchen and you know identified uh, you know here's where we want knives to dry, uh, here's where this co- these coffee grinds are now placed, and and they were like five tips in in under two minutes. Uh, all of which I think either optimize someone's kitchen experience or addressed a problem. And then, and then on the kind of more more macro side of things, um, you know, we had a conversation last night around um, 
uh, uh, right now we're in this point of the pandemic where uh, we're really being asked to to ensure that all tr all travel is essential uh, and, and not out of town travel but travel within the city and um and so we had a question and what does that mean as it relates to to uh people uh visiting their significant others or or dropping off food at their parents or or seeing um you know a, a new member of their family yeah these are all very relevant questions to us even a question last night we asked was what happens if one of us uh, gets, you know, COVID? And and how would we as a house, what are the procedures in place that we would be able to respond uh, quickly and collectively to that? And so, you know, that it, far range in those two topics, but but both of them ultimately meant by the end of the conversation, we were, we were better equipped to know how to live together. That's really neat to hear because I have a very strong memory of um, being at the house you and Jill became over for a supper and to chat about the potential um, of saying yes to moving into the commons. And one thing I remember very strongly is that you said you were less interested in the governance side of the house. So it's just interesting that, of uh, you know, I asked for highlights and one of the things that you're, you're highlighting is, is the value of those those Thursday night um, once a month gatherings. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it speaks to you know, a, a really important question that I've been thinking about, which is like, what is the age and stage of the community which you are choosing to belong to? And and at the time, um, you know, I'm someone who has been a part of um, the creation um, or co-creation of many communities. And there's a specific kind of foundation building, uh, which I was not interested in being a part of in the commons um, experience, partially from a, a perspective that I've done that a bunch before, but also partially from a belief that I actually just want to play in somebody else's playground. And and knowing that that still requires a certain element of structure and, and, and work to do, um, but it's a different kind of experience. And, and I was really excited to show up to a party as opposed to create one, um, as that is the latter has been normally my experience. I'm going to ask a couple more questions about the commons, and then we're going to talk a little bit about you and, and, and what led you to community through your life. You know, I, I joked that in a way, uh, you and I traded places. So I moved to Ottawa. I now live with my partner, Daniel. Daniel's daughter, Madeleine, is back and forth between our house and her other house. But you and Shelby were living on your own, the two of you, and have now shifted into this this house with so many housemates. And so I just, you know, there are so many bonuses to living in community, and you and I are obviously both believers, but it can also be hard. And it it's a big shift to go from navigating um, two people's perspectives to, you know, six or seven perspectives. It, for me, it was a shift to go the other way. Was there ever a moment that, that stood out for you where you kind of thought, I don't know, like, uh-oh, what have I done? Or I miss my old life when it was just me and she'll be. Yeah. Um, so so during the summer, so, you know, um, uh, almost exactly around the time that we moved in um, was the period uh, uh, or at the time it was George Floyd was murdered. Um, Ahmed Aubrey had been murdered. Breonna Taylor's had been murdered. And, um, and we saw the uh, racial revolution um, enter a new, a new chapter in the world. And one of the questions that we 
asked ourselves as a house was, uh, what can we do together um, to 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 be to be in in solidarity, in service, in support of of these movements? And as a house, uh, we decided that we would um, read a book called "Me and White Supremacy" by Leila Ahmed, um, and on a weekly basis have meetings uh, where we would um, reflect on the the chapters and the writing prompts that uh, Ms. Ahmed provided, and. That was that was an extremely untethering process for myself as an individual to to reflect on my relationship to um, white supremacy, to oppression, um, both how it has impacted me and how it lives within me. And then to do that with seven other people, all of whom are on their respective journeys. Um, understanding uh, their relationship to it, uh, half of whom are also white themselves, brought up a lot of feelings. And there were several points where it, it felt like more feeling that I could handle in a household. I felt my own feelings were more feelings I could handle in a household. And, and I felt like some of the things that I was learning were showing up in the household. Uh, and uh, and it, it, would, it created a lot of anger for me. And uh, at times I wondered, uh, was this the right group of people to move in with? And, um, and, and was, this, was this the right topic to, to start? Uh, with as a as a shared topic and project, um, particularly as we had just moved in, and and I think this is one of the reasons why the idea of, of living collectively um, can can feel challenging to do at times, uh, because of the fact that we are um, we all come with our own experiences, and in some cases uh, they are quite different, and in some cases they may even be oppositional, and. What I so deeply admire um, about everyone in this house, um, and and that is the people who are currently living here, Sabrina, Mandy, Brayden, Kareem, Shelby, Alex, and myself. Yeah, that includes Josh, who was here at the time. That includes you, Val. That includes other people who were part of the founding community includes the people who were partners and friends and people who, who, who created the space, who co-created the space. What I so admire about the culture here uh, is that it's a culture that has um, embraced the idea of having tough conversations. And um, we sat in discomfort for months. And on a weekly basis, we shared our discomfort with what we were learning about ourselves. And at times it felt messy and at times it felt like this was a lot to live in. And at times I felt anger and at times I felt a lot of sadness about my own experience. But the fact that I could go through that journey together with all these people and and the fact that we would hold each other in some cases, certainly figuratively and in some cases literally 
um, as we collectively untethered from from pretty oppressive paradigms. Um, it was quite liberating. I expected the experience in this house to be one filled with love. I didn't necessarily expect it to be one um, that would free me. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I heard little bits from members of the house about that journey. It sounds like it was hard. I I don't know that I I don't know that I would have been able to show up for that. And uh, to your point, and you know, my own pain and perspective on the experience of being racialized and how that showed up in various parts of my life or my family's life. Hard stuff to talk about. Mm -hmm. But you know, when, when we have those hard conversations, um, it, it is my experience that um, if we if we have you know the, the the courage and the conviction and and the effort to have those hard conversations, um, we are usually stronger on the other side. Uh, it's like carrying a really really heavy weight, um, and so it, it is. Um, a lot of times, I don't have the energy for that extra weight. I don't have the desire for the extra weight, the time for the extra weight. Um, but but living in intentional spaces like this um, also creates the opportunity to, to carry that extra weight together. And we collectively are able to lift it and become stronger as one. So, so beautiful. Thank you. Um, I... All right. I, I want to take us to um, a writer and activist that I know you're a big fan of, Adrienne Marie Brown. And I, I want to get your thoughts on a couple of excerpts that I've grabbed um, from a piece she wrote. And it was in response to a question the Center for Humans and Nature posed. The center asked, how do we create communities to which all of us can belong? And I'm just going to read you two, two quotes from Adrienne Marie Brown. She said, even if we don't have a clear sense of the exact solutions to fix the future, we should have a clear sense of how we want to feel in ourselves, in our relationships, with each other, in community, and in relationship to the planet. Those feelings aren't for the far off future. They are guidance to what we must be seeding and practicing now, right now. And she also said, if we believe in community, then we must get curious about the ways we need to grow and communicate in order to truly be a part of community, not just one community, but the multitude of communities we intersect with. So Adil, you're, you're a believer in community. You're a liver of community. And so I'm, I'm, I want to ask you, in, wh in what ways do you, do you and are you getting curious about the ways we need to grow and communicate in order to truly be part of community. My my, I'm going to go way back in time, Val, if that's okay. Um, my interest in community stems from the fact that my parents are both community organizers and met through organizing community. 
and I am a, I am a product of you know two community organizers meeting while organizing community, and who set a model and example for me around this kind of work. I also veered towards community organizing from a young age as a means to address my own sense of isolation. Uh, often, I I didn't feel um, particularly at a young age included or like I belonged in the environments that I found myself in. And I thought one way to take agency around that was to just organize. Um, I may not be invited to your party, but I can, I can have my own and maybe people will come. And as I've, as I've become older and more aware of that, um, I've done a lot of work to um, address uh, the underlying desire for validation um, that has uh, driven my community organizing, and and in its place, you know, filled it with a love for myself, uh, which is increasingly abundant, um, and also replaced it with um, what I see as the benefits of being in community, and and particularly the the connection that comes. Um, from you know being within community, so I I just start there, or I rather you know to answer your question, I wanted to provide that that history um, because at the moment that we're speaking, community um, is in a is at a moment of crossroads. Uh, in some ways, it feels like we've never been further apart. And so the question I'm really asking myself now is, you know, to quote Priya Parker, how do we gather? And to quote Arundhati Roy, you know, is the pandemic a portal by which we can see opportunities that may not have ex existed prior to the pandemic? Because communities, like all things, uh, can be and can be in, can be better and can be in service to more people, particularly those who are most isolated from it. And we look at this, 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 the data around isolation and it's folks who face the most barriers to society at large who are also the most isolated. So the question is who's community working for? And so I am asking myself a lot right now, both in these moments and beyond, you know, how do we gather again and, and how do we leverage this opportunity to rethink how community can come together to prioritize the lessons that we've learned around the barriers that people have faced so that ultimately we can all belong to whatever beloved community we would like to belong to. And I use the term beloved community quite intentional because I've been thinking a lot about MLK recently at a conference that I was recently at hosted by Anima Leadership, Shakil Chaudhary, um, one, of the, one of the founders of Anima, asked this question, what happens after oppression? And in that conference, we talked a lot about the impact of oppression, how to combat oppression. But his point was, if we don't talk a lot about what happens after, what history has shown us is that the liberator can become the oppressor. And so he quoted MLK, who talked a lot about this idea of the beloved community. And that's what comes after oppression, uh, as does redemption and reconciliation.
So what does that look like for us now in order to get there? And I'm thinking a lot about that. Such important questions. And, you know, we're in a, uh, you and I are both living in a place with a stay-at-home order and there's time to, to think and, and time to, to dialogue and, and even little ways in which we can act to um, start to find some of our answers. I want to talk a little bit about communities that we've shared. So you, as you know, but those listening won't, uh, so I'll share a bit with them. You were a very pivotal part of my community journey. We met in 2015 um, as I was looking to, to make a shift in my career. And I remember we met for a coffee in a Center for Social Innovation Annex location. And you invited me to sign up for a side project that you were launching with some friends called Camp Reset. Um, and I can absolutely say that if I hadn't become part of the Reset community, I, I don't think I would have ever made my way to, to co-housing. It was our mutual friend, Rob Wakalat, who introduced me to the concept. I remember me saying, that sounds cool, but it's not for me. <laughs> um, and over time, you know, it actually started to make more and more sense. And eventually I connected with Kareem, who's also a part of that community, um, and he and I and our, our four other Commons co-founders took the leap. So that's a bit about my journey into into this version of community, you know, in the Commons and, and another community that, that we've been part of that you helped to co-found. And I'm curious, is there a story or a moment in your life um, that you can talk about that would, you know, unlock uh, for us what led you to moving into the commons, um, or to making community such a central part of your life. You, you quoted Adrian Marie Brown previously. Adrian Marie Brown wrote this book called Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good. And, and, and in that book, she, she talks about the importance of I mean, pleasure and, and joy and happiness as essential towards our collective liberation. And I think when I think about your question, um, there are, there are there are stories that come up, but but I I actually am so centered in the feeling of community more than anything. For me, it feels good. It feels pleasurable. It feels joyful to be with other people, and and that's not to say. There isn't other feelings that come up, harder feelings that, that come up. I, I think it's actually essential. One of the biggest lessons I've learned is that I, I need to know what sadness feels like in order to truly feel joy. So, so it's, it's not the absence of harder feelings, but, but it, but is when I think about so often, you know, what has affirmed my desire to be part of community, it's a feeling of pleasure. It comes from a sense of being one and in service to something that is beyond yourself. So no specific story, Valerie, but more just, just the feeling of community uh, that I think um, is really delicious. As someone that, that places community at the center of your life uh, and who is, you know, wanting to create for yourselves, for others, that feeling of joy, of connection. Uh, what what can we expect from you in this next chapter? Reset 
Reset started, you know, all eight of us who co-founded it had different uh, reasons. So I'll, I'll, I'll say broadly, um, there was a commitment to uh, the, the premise and potential of, of presence and play. And, and over, over time, we realized that there was a potential for, for something bigger than an annual camp for 80 people. And the chapter that we're in right now is in shifting our focus away from an out-of-town camp model and towards an in-city model. And a big reason for that is because of our commitment to the collective and wanting to be accessible and to be where the collective is at. And uh, I'm in, I'm in this where you've caught me literally in this moment in time is a, a pretty exciting period of um, reimagining something that has been in this broad camp-like setting and, and reimagining it into something that is in uh, a smaller corner store uh, coming to uh, Toronto later this year. And it's, so exciting for me because I really envision a world where we just play. And I ultimately believe that among the many benefits that come from that are healthier hearts, both from a medicinal, from a, from a, from a scientific perspective and, and from a spiritual perspective. And the, the idea of being able to, to take that, that vision and um, look at all the pieces on the table in terms of the people and the learnings that we've had over the years and and uh, start this next chapter um, in um, in the city this year, particularly in this context of time when we are needing to also think about what does it mean to gather in space again and what does community look like um, at a time during and you know eventually beyond the pandemic. Um, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to think about, you know, how do we build on our build on our lessons and learnings, and not just reset related at a societal level. You know, how do we create spaces which are more conducive to people feeling like they can be vulnerable enough to play? Right now, it feels really challenging to imagine that, it, for a lot of reasons, as it relates to our conditioning as adults. But also because so so often now when we share space with people we don't know or even who we do know, there is a lot of fear. And that fear is an enormous barrier towards our connection. So I, I tell a lot of people when I when I explain this vision of of coming into the city, because obviously during the pandemic there's been a relatively significant exodus out, I tell a lot of people I know I'm going against the current um, and and I and I support the different ways that we are are finding connection and, and a sense of safety in this moment um, but I am committed to the collective I'm committed to the city and I'm committed to this idea that we are better together and I want to be part of the movement of people who are figuring out how we coexist in space together and that will happen in many different ways. And I'm part of that wave, specifically through the perspective of just play. And I'm really grateful to be in the position to be able to do this kind of work right now. 
Adel, thank you so much for this conversation. And I just want to say I'm really grateful as well that you're in this position right now to do this work. And I can't wait to see how it evolves and, and to play with you more. So thank you so much for joining me. It's been an awesome conversation. Thank you. Thanks so much, Valerie, for having me. I, I really, truly think creating platforms and conversations as you are doing on topics like this are essential to how we can fundamentally learn and, and teach how to love more. And so I thank you for creating the space for this. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Life Without Us. Reminder to check the show notes for links to information shared in today's episode. To please share Adel's story with the community lover in your life using the link in the show notes. And to come interact with us online or via Instagram at Life Without Us Pod. Please join us next Tuesday when we talk to Jillian Morris, founder of Hitlist, a travel app that helps you find cheap flights. Jillian has been living in community since 2015 and is the co-editor of Super Nuclear, a guide for people starting their own co-living communities that invites all of us to think beyond the nuclear family. We'll see you next week. Bye.